Chapter Twelve of The Lady from Nowhere by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Chapter Twelve, The Diamond Necklace. Geb, much to his disgust, returned to Norminster as wise as he had left it. Beyond meeting a lunatic and interviewing an obstinate young woman, he had spent his time and money to little purpose and it was with a perplexed brain that he sat down to consider his future movements. In the face of his failure he was at a loss how to act. Miss Wedderburn, with what looked like deliberate intention, only repeated the story he already knew. Miss Gilmar had confessed to a fear of Dean. She had fled from the hall on account of that fear. Her travels and hidings and extraordinary precautions had been undertaken solely to thwart the revenge of Dean. Geb was aware of these facts, but there was nothing more in them likely to instruct him. He had, so far, exhausted their capabilities. "'What am I to do?' he asked himself for, say, the fiftieth time. "'How am I to act? In what direction am I to move? Miss Wedderburn, without any given reason, says that Dean is innocent. Prain is of the same way of thinking, and so am I.' Parge alone seems to believe in Dean's guilt, and I don't agree with him. The man himself may be able to supply evidence to reveal the truth, but where is he to be found? Geb could answer this question no more than he could the others he propounded, and vainly racked his usually inventive brain to settle on some course likely to elucidate the mystery. Finally, after mature reflection, he resolved to call upon Prain, and ask him to explain the meaning of Miss Wedderburn's fainting. The lawyer had told him to ask a certain question, and see what answer it would bring. Well, he had done so, and the answer was that the girl, without any apparent cause, had fainted. Perhaps Prain knew the reason, and since Edith refused to reveal it, his sole course was to question the solicitor. So to Prain the detective went, full of curiosity, two days after his return from the country. The interval had been filled up in attending to business unconnected with the Grangebury mystery, but now Geb returned to it again, and sought Mr. Prain in the hope of learning something tangible. But his spirits were very low. "'Well, Mr. Geb,' said brisk Mr. Prain, after the greetings had passed, "'I have not been idle since I saw you last. I have sent a description of that necklace to the police.' I have informed Mr. Alder of Miss Gilmar's death, and I have received his instructions about the will. There is a will, then. Without doubt, Miss Gilmar made her will before she left the hall. In favor of Mr. Alder, said Geb. Yes, of course. By the will of Kirkstone's ancestor, Mr. Alder becomes possessed of the hall. But Miss Gilmar has left her personal property, that is, the money which she inherited from Laura Kirkstone, to him also. Miss Wedderburn, I am sorry to say, receives nothing. Poor girl, she will have to leave the hall. Prain shrugged his shoulders. That is at her own discretion, he said, coolly. Mr. Alder is in love with her, so if she marries him— She won't marry him, interrupted Geb. She is in love with, and engaged to, Mr. Ferris. Ah, she told you about that scamp. She told me very little, Mr. Payne but she fainted when I mentioned the man under the very general description of a lover. 
She fainted. Hmm. Prane looked so serious and perplexed that Gebb was impelled to question him further touching the matter. Why did she faint? asked the detective, bluntly. I don't know. That is, I can't exactly say, stammered the other. Gebb looked at the solicitor, who in his turn stared at the carpet, the ceiling, at the papers on his desk, anywhere but at his questioner. Mr. Prane, he said seriously, you are not treating me fairly. I beg your pardon, said Prane, nervously, and as a rule he was not a nervous man. I don't see how you make that out. I do, replied Gebb sharply. You know the reason of that fainting. Perhaps I do, but I am not at liberty to reveal my knowledge. The secret is Miss Wedderburn's. Has it anything to do with this murder? No, replied Prane decisively. That it has not. Then why did you tell me to ask her about Ferris? Because I wanted to be sure of something, and that fainting has enlightened me. Can't you tell me more? cried Gebb, with some indignation. No, I cannot, answered Prane, bluntly. Get Miss Wedderburn's permission, and I will. But even if you did know, the knowledge would be of no use to you. Has Miss Wedderburn any theory about this murder? Not that I know of. You saw her last, Mr. Gebb. Does she know who killed Miss Gilmar? Why not ask her? said Prane, evading the question. I did, and I can't make out what she means. She says that Dean is innocent, but won't give her reason. Now, Parge declares that Dean is guilty. Well, Mr. Gebb, perhaps he is. Indeed, sneered Gebb, who was growing irritated. Last time I saw you, Mr. Prane, you denied his guilt. And I do so now, cried Prane, warmly. I believe, as you do, Gebb, that Dean is innocent of both crimes. He killed neither Kirkstone nor Miss Gilmar. I don't know what Miss Wedderburn's reasons are, but she is right to defend Dean. Still, added Prane with a shrug, I don't deny that many people look on the man as a murderer. Does Mr. Alder believe in Dean's guilt, in his double guilt? Yes, he is sure of it. You can ask him for yourself, added Prane, looking at his watch. He'll be here soon. I'll be glad to meet him, but what is your opinion about this crime? I told you the last time I saw you, replied the solicitor. Miss Gilmar was murdered by one of those fortune-tellers for the sake of her diamonds— Recover that necklace, and you will soon trace the assassin. "'It's not much of an idea,' said Gebb, scornfully. "'It's the best I've got, at all events,' resorted Prane, with heat. "'I have done my best to prove its truth by sending a description of that necklace to the police. "'I dare say the description is in the hands of all pawnbrokers by this time,' said Gebb, thoughtfully. "'Well, we shall see what will come of it. "'What about Ferris?' "'Ferris,' repeated Prane, in no wise astonished at this abrupt question. "'Well, he is an artist, and a bit of a scamp, with whom Edith Weatherburn is in love. I don't know why, perhaps because he is a scamp. Women seem to like scamps, for some reason best known to themselves. "'Is he handsome?' "'Very. Tall and dark, rather military-looking. "'Has he a mark on one cheek?' Yes, a birthmark, but not disfiguring. How did you know about it? 
that lunatic at Kirkstone Hall told me. He called it the mark of Satan. By the way, who is that man? A gardener who used to live at the hall in Kirkstone's time. I think the tragedy of the Yellow Room must have sent him off his head. At all events, he ran away after it occurred, and only turned up a year or two ago, quite mad. Why don't they lock him up? Well, you see, Miss Wedderburn, who is a rather strong-minded young woman, thinks kindness may cure him, so she gave him back his old post of gardener. If Miss Gilmar had been there, I don't think he would have been allowed to stay. I don't think, either, that Miss W.'s experiment will be a success. He sings the most gruesome songs, about murder, and blood, and the yellow room. I know, replied Prain, cheerfully. I am afraid that last muddled his brain and inspired his muse. He didn't sing or compose verse when I knew him, but the man's a complete wreck. He used to be rather handsome and stupid, but his own father wouldn't know him now. I'm sorry for the poor devil. As now that Alder owns the hall, I dare say he'll be kicked out and have to end his days in an asylum. The best place for him, in my opinion, said Gebb emphatically. He is as mad as a March hare, and not half so harmless. Hello, who is that knocking? Come in. It proved to be a note from Inspector Lackland, asking Gebb to come down to Grangebury. In the first instance it had gone to Scotland Yard, and, as it seemed important, had been sent on to the detective, who had left word that he would be at Prains in case he was wanted. "'Seems important,' said Gebb, reading it. "'I wonder what Lackland wants to see me about. Eh, Prane?' But Prane was not attending to him. He was busy shaking hands with a tall, broad-shouldered man, fair-haired and blue-eyed, and altogether comely to look upon. This gentleman was introduced to Gebb by the name of Alder, whereby the detective was informed that he stood in the presence of Miss Gilmar's heir and Miss Wedderburn's lover. Alder, on hearing Gebb's name, looked at him keenly, and saluted him with marked cordiality. "'I'm glad to meet you, Mr. Gebb,' he said, in loud and hearty tones. Indeed, he was rather like a fox-hunting squire than a barrister. "'How are you getting on with the case of my poor cousin's murder? Have you caught Dean?' "'No,' answered Gebb, plainly. "'And, to tell you the truth, I'm not sure that Dean is the culprit.' "'But if you knew what Dean said about—' "'I know all that Dean said,' interrupted Gebb. "'Also that he escaped. But, for all that, I do not think he killed Miss Gilmar, or Kirkstone, either, for the matter of that.' "'Hum,' said Alder, thoughtfully. "'I see you are of Basson's opinion.' "'Mr. Clement Basson, do you know him?' asked the detective. "'I should think so,' replied Alder, smiling. "'I have known him for years.' He was Dean's counsel in the Kirkstone case. "'I instructed him,' said Prain, complacently. "'He believed in Dean's innocence, as I did. But, unfortunately, our united efforts could not get the poor devil off.' "'I think I'll call on Mr. Basson,' said the detective, thoughtfully. "'Where is he to be found?' "'Number 40, Blackstone Lane, Fleet Street,' replied Alder promptly. "'But what do you expect to learn from him?' his reasons for believing Dean not guilty. "'They're the same as mine,' cried Prane, "'and I don't know how his stating them over again can help you. He does not know where Dean is.' "'Still, 
Mr. Gebb had better see Basson, suggested Alder, with conviction. Something may come of the visit. Will you call on me afterwards, Mr. Gebb, and tell me what you learn from Basson? I am to be found in the temple, and, as you may guess, I am most anxious that Dean should be traced. I intend to offer a reward of two hundred pounds for his capture. I hope you will earn it. I hope so, too, answered Gebb, much pleased. But are you certain that Dean is guilty? If he is not, I don't know who is, replied Alder emphatically, and for the time being the conversation ended. Gebb left Alder to consult with Prain as to the necessity of exhuming the body of Miss Gilmar for identification, and took his way down to Grangebury to learn why the bluff Lackland had written so earnest and urgent a note. He found the plethoric inspector in a state of excitement bordering on apoplexy, and wondered what could have occurred to stimulate the marionette to such unusual excitement. "'That you, Gebb?' cried Lackland, the moment the detective put his nose inside the door. "'George, I am glad to see you. It's found, sir, found. What do you think of that, hey?' "'What's found? The name of the murderer?' "'No, no, but something as useful. The diamond necklace,' said Lackland, slowly. "'You don't say so,' cried Gebb, excitedly. "'Was it sold? Pond?' "'Pond,' interrupted the inspector. "'Aaron and Nathans, Harrod Street, City. It came into their possession the day after the murder.' "'The devil! Our assassinating friend lost no time. Who pawned it?' "'A young man who called himself James Brown.' "'James Fiddlesticks,' said Gebb, contemptuously. "'A false name. What is he like?' tall, dark, handsome, said Lackland, with military brevity. Aaron said that he put the necklace up the spout as cool as a cucumber. He was. Hold on, cried Gebb, eagerly. Had he a mark on one cheek, a birthmark? By George, he had, a purple spot, but not large enough to spoil his looks. I thought so, said the detective joyously. So it was Arthur Ferris, did it? Arthur who? asked Lackland, gruffly. Arthur Ferris, of Chelsea, artist. He pawned the necklace. He stole the diamonds. He murdered Miss Gilmar. Hurrah! We've got him! End of chapter 12